there's more to this life than I thought. And James inspires me. The things he says have encouraged me. It's like there's a walk, there's a path, and it's leading to something more real than I've ever known before, and it's exciting. I get around James and I hear things that help me in my life, my work. This work he talks about has become my work. I am excited about the possibility that other people could be affected, other people could be inspired to work on themselves, to grow, to, to realize there's more to this life. I have kind of a loose relationship with a number of people who will chat me up at different times with online chat programs. And one guy I've been talking to for a while, he asked me to give him my impressions of him. So I took a couple of days and thought about it, and then I wrote down what I thought, and I hadn't seen him since, so I thought, oops, you did it again. <laughs> you know, if people are asking you for impressions and they're in the work, they better not be asking you to pat them on the back and say, oh, I think you're really wonderful. They better not be asking for that, because if they are, well, they're asking the wrong guy, because I may do that, but there's also going to be a healthy dose of the other as well, because that's the reality of life. So I was chatting with him, and this was afterwards, and he thanked me for whatever I'd, impressions I'd given him, and we talked about it, and he agreed that that was something that he, he was working with and had a problem with or whatever. And, and so I said, well, what do you want? And he said, I want sanity for one. I said, well, why? It's so boring. He said, okay, how about this? I want to be able to use my higher centers more frequently. I've had many flashes of understanding. And I said, why? He said, I have faith that I'll be a better person. I said, why would you want to be a better person? If you knew you were a pig, would you want to be a better pig? Now, he didn't really get that. So I'm going to explain it a little bit more. Not for him so much, but because it was a good line of questioning. When I say, what do you want? It's really another way of saying, what's your aim? Fourth way people are so religious about all of this, the dogma, the language, all this stuff. Jeez, lighten up. But Kerchief said, never change anything. Well, you know, I think maybe you got that wrong. I think you're, you're not even near the, the ocean, let alone miss the boat. There's no water in sight for you. That's not what it's about. If it's not about transformation, then what is it about? Well, don't change the system. Well, any system that isn't changing is dead. Now, you just have to face that fact. Any system that isn't changing is dead. And if you want to be dead with it, stay with it. Or allow the system to alter you. And as it alters you, the system itself is altered because it's an organic living thing, just like you are. And this whole process is an interaction with this system. You interact with it. It becomes part of you and you become part of it. It starts to grow and take on a life of its own. It becomes your work, not Gurdjieff's work anymore. Gurdjieff's work is dead because Gurdjieff is dead. Ospensky's work is dead because Ospensky is dead. Now it is your work or it is dead work. So you either make it yours or it just lays dead, waiting for someone to come and pick it up and breathe life into it and take it into them as life and then start the transformation process, the exchange. Okay, that's my rant on fourth-way religion. <laughs> it was a mild rant, though, wasn't it? It's like, you know, I, I love these people because they have kept this alive for these years. And I'm very grateful to them for that. But you've got to go beyond it. You've got to go beyond it. It is a stepping stone to something higher, something greater. It comes from the conscious circle of humanity. Everybody wants to give Gurdjieff all the credit. Where did Gurdjieff get it? So Gurdjieff is greater mind. Is that what we're saying? Gurdjieff is the absolute. Like, well, you may as well be a Christian saying, well, Jesus is God. Great. Whatever. I mean, whatever. I, I don't want to argue with people about it. I just want to say that when I say, what do you want? 
It's like the work saying, what is your aim? If you know what aim is, then when somebody says, what, you, what do you want? You know what you want. What you want is another way of saying, what's your aim? He wants to be a better person. Well, great. Better at what? You see how vague that is? Well, I want to be a better person. Well, that's nice. So what? You've got to have a definite formulation. You can't just let it be vague, let it be this airy-fairy, vague thing that just kind of floats around like clouds. There's nothing definite about that. There's nothing specific about that. If you want specific results, you have to have specific aims. You have to know what it is you're after, or else how will you know when you get it? So one of the problems we have with people working for results is, what result are you working for? And they don't even know. See, they, well, I just want to be a better person. Well, how will you know when you're a better person? How will you know? This is how you start to narrow down, how you start to sharpen your aim. You take out a knife and you start to peel away some things. That's how you sharpen something. You strike away whatever is not sharp and you make a sharp point. And you have to make your aim a sharp point or else it's not going to stick anywhere. It's not going to do anything for you. To aim to be better is vague and it's not really asking. You see, aim is a request. It's a universal request. And when you're asking for something, you need to be specific about what you're asking for, or else you're going to get the kitchen sink. I mean, who knows what you'll get? You'll get some vague answer, and you won't even know you got an answer because you never knew what you really asked. Are you with me on this so far? So really, it's like shopping. I know the women will understand this. The guys, guys are shoppers too, but I notice that guys shop differently. Guys are going to a place, they get what they want, and they go out. A woman goes into a place... And she forgets what she wants while she's walking around. Yeah. And she starts looking around at all these other things that she wants. And, oh, and look at that. No. And she may end up, you know, two stores down or three stores down before she realizes, oh, I forgot what I wanted. And I wanted to go back there. Now, of course, not all women and not all men. But it's just something I noticed about women in shopping. You get them in a shoe store and, oh, my God, it's kind of crazy. It's really no way to go shopping. How can you be helped? How can you be answered? How can you be sold what you want? If you can't ask for what you want. Well, I want um, something to make me feel pretty. Okay. A good salesman is going to look at you and say, okay, let's see. What have I got? He's not going to look at what is going to help you feel pretty. He's going to say, what have I got? And then he's going to sell you that. Why? Because you don't have a request. You're not making a request. You're just saying, look, I just want to buy something to make me feel better. He'll say, okay, well, buy this. This will make me feel better too. (laughs) And there you have it. And that's what most exchanges are in the commercial world today. That's what most people do when they go shopping. My present aim is to bring you into a state of consciousness that makes you uncomfortable. That's my present aim. So I'm here this morning. My aim is to bring you into a state of consciousness that makes you feel uncomfortable. Do you feel uncomfortable yet? Does anyone feel uncomfortable? Only one? Oh, well, I still got a lot, to, a lot of work to do, I see. So hang on. This could be a long one before everybody feels uncomfortable, or I could just make you all feel uncomfortable right now. But then what would the podcast listeners have, you see? <laughs> so <laughs> we'd have to make them feel uncomfortable, too. We would not them to feel left out. This aim, wanting to make you feel uncomfortable, doesn't lie in false personality. Can you see that it doesn't lie in false personality? If I make you feel uncomfortable, then you're not going to like me. And if you don't like me, that's not going to make my false personality very happy. So this aim doesn't lie in false personality. This is some other kind of aim, isn't it? So here's the first thing we realize is that there are two different aims. There are the aims that lie in false personality and there are the aims that lie in the work. And then the aims that just lie. Those are the ones in false personality and lie and say, we're really doing it for the work. 
And it's just a lie, that's all. And we know that about ourselves. We know that we're like that. What might he have answered if he'd observed himself better? When I said, what do you want? What might he have answered if he'd observed himself better? Because you see, you will have no aim until you observe yourself. All your aims will be vague. All your aims will be soft. They'll be woolly. They'll be fuzzy. There will be no real shape or form or point to any of your aims. Because you don't know anything about yourself until you begin to observe yourself. It's only when you begin to see what you are, really see what you're like, that you suddenly develop aims. Oh my God, I don't want to be like this. Anything but this. But that's really not an aim yet. That's just the desire not to be like that. Then you need the knowledge from this work to know what to do about that. That has to come into an aim as well. It can't be just as, oh, I don't want to be like that. I want to, because that's, you may as well want to be a better person. How will you know when you're a better person? Well, I'll stop doing that. Well, won't you be a little bit better even if you're still doing that, but you're not doing something else? Say you're observing yourself properly in a non-identified way. You're looking at yourself as an interesting stranger and you're unable to stop your unpleasant manifestations. But you're still, you're looking at it. You're like, oh my God, what is coming out of this mouth? Make it stop, but it won't stop. Connie was telling us something last night about, uh, she was sitting with three Christian ladies in her painting class who were talking about some Bibles that had been burned in Afghanistan by the military. And the Christian ladies were going crazy. What message is this giving to the Afghanis? You know, we're not a Christian nation and our government doesn't care for the Bible and blah, 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 blah. And Connie said, she said she was sitting there listening to this and she was thinking, you don't have to respond. You do not have to respond. Say nothing. You don't have to respond. Don't poke the bear. And then she said before she knew it, she had opened her mouth and they were all crazy. (laughs) Making the sign of the cross over her and backing away, you know, throwing holy water at her. And she said, even as she was saying, even as she was poking the bear, she'd gone, there you go. And they're looking, now you're going and doing it. Why are you poking the bear? Just shut up. So are you any closer to being the person you want to be when you can see that? (laughs) But you have no results. You have no results. You're still an idiot out there. You know, you, you know, it's like it's like Connie said to me after however many ten to four ten days that I did. How can somebody meditate as much as you do and still be a jerk? It's easy, <laughs> you know. <laughs> it's not hard. I don't even have to practice. <laughs> but now she doesn't say things like that to me anymore. Why is that? Well, probably because she knows I'll just say it's easy. It's, it's not hard. Even you could do it. <laughs> as a matter of fact, you're doing it now. But now if she sees that, if she sees, she wants to ask, well, how can you do this and be such a jerk? Well, then she may, maybe she sees that she's poking the bear. Maybe she sees that, you know, she is part of the problem, which is really what we need to see. I mean, we need to come to that place where we see not that this other person's a jerk, but that I am. And what meditation gave me was that realization. It's like, well, yeah, I'm a jerk. So it wasn't a big surprise. It wasn't, oh, how could you say that? I used to be shocked when people said unkind things to me. Really was shocking. I used to get offended and embarrassed. Now I just look at them and I go, oh, you finally figured it out, huh? (laughs) You know, like it matters. I'm doing the best that I can do. It's not good enough. Nobody's best is always good enough. That's just the way it is. So you live with it and you do what you can do right now. And what I can do right now is I can look at this as if it were an interesting stranger and just be detached from it, not identify with it. I want to stop making internal accounts. Had he said that to me, had he said, I want to stop making internal accounts. Now, this, this, this guy's been observing himself. Or, or what about, I want to stop blaming life and other people. Wouldn't that have been cool if he'd said that? But he didn't. What about if he said, I want to stop feeling resentful. Or how about, stop thinking that others haven't treated me right. 
Is this, is this ringing any bells for anybody? All right. This should be a regular chorus. This, is a, this should be a symphony now. As I say these things, this should be, you know, you should be like up out of your seat. You know, oh, yeah, that's me. I know that one. <laughs> That'd work. How about, I want to stop thinking that under different conditions, if things had been differently, I'd really be a marvelous, wonderful person. <laughs> about that one <laughs> yeah you know if she hadn't done that i'd really be okay you know well if they had just and well if how about those things if you want to stop those things yes. then you have been observing yourself those are real goals you see those are real aims those are things you can really get your well i was going to say get your teeth into but those are things that can really get their teeth into you and so those are the things we want to pull the teeth on so that they don't get their teeth into us he might have asked me to sell him something to make him see that he's wrong you see, if he had been looking at me like who I am and what I do, he'd have seen that I'm here to sell. I'm here to sell you something. I have terrific leather to make great shoes, but nobody wants to buy it. Everybody wants to go buy cotton candy or a new hat or something to make them feel pretty. Everybody's interested in something for their false personality, and I'm not selling any. So what kind of a salesman am I? Well, I guess you could say lonely. One who doesn't make many sales, but I don't need to make many sales because I charge a lot. Because it's good leather, and it's expensive, and it's going to cost you. You're going to have to pay. One way or another, you will pay. But he didn't ask me that. Those are real requests, and real requests can be answered. Yep, I notice few buyers, and fewer still, who are willing to pay the price. Are you uncomfortable yet? Good. More than one hand, we're good now. <laughs> All right, I think we made it to the best part here. In Matthew chapter 22, verses 8 through 14, is an interesting little story. Then he said to his slaves, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main highways, and as many as you find there, invite to the wedding feast. And those slaves went out into the streets and gathered together all they found, both evil and good. And the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests. But when the king came in to look over the dinner guest, he saw there a man not dressed in wedding clothes. And he said to him, Friend, how did you come in here without wedding clothes? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Perplexing story, isn't it? He invites these people into his wedding feast. The guy shows up and he's not dressed right, so he has him bound hand and foot, thrown out. There's weeping and there's gnashing of teeth. Yuck! What kind of a king is he? What is this about? You have been invited to a wedding. What happens at a wedding? The two are made one at a wedding. This work invites you to a wedding where the two or the many eventually will become one. What happens is first you're one and then through this work and observation you become two and then you become many more than two. But eventually you become two and then you become one. And so that's the idea of the wedding. What will you wear? First, you must get rid of your ordinary clothes. With what are we ordinarily clothed? Pride, vanity. Pride, vanity. Internal consideration. Internal consideration. Okay, so already you know that we're not talking about what you're wearing on the outside of your body. We're talking about psychological clothing. We're talking about the suits, the dresses that we wear internally, psychologically. And so obviously this story is not about some man who came to a wedding feast off the street without any wedding clothes. We're talking about someone who didn't meet the standard for the state of consciousness that he was in. How did you get in here without wedding clothes? How did you even get into this state of consciousness without wedding clothes? Well, I just stumbled into it. Well, stumble back out, because that's what you're going to do anyhow. And actually, you will be bound hand and foot. 
and thrown out. And there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Because if you stumbled into it and you don't know how to get there, you're going to be weeping and gnashing your teeth that you can't get back. And you're going to feel bound hand and foot because you don't have the power to do, because you don't know how to get back into that state of consciousness. It's a terrible thing. But each of us has been there. Each of us has had that glimpse, has flashed into that state, and then dropped back out of it. And it's been terrible. It's been really grim. But we know that if we work, we can earn our way back. Always being aggrieved. These are our ordinary clothes. We're always aggrieved. We're always upset. We're always hurt. We're always upset making endless inner accounts. There are two stages to making aim. Formulate your aim through self-observation so it becomes somewhat clear to you. You don't have to have it nailed down completely, but it needs to be somewhat clear to you. You need to see. You need to start to get an idea of what your chief feature might be. Now, that's scary because that's too big. Oh, I don't think I know what my chief feature is. Actually, you don't think you want to know. That's more the truth of it. I don't think I want to know what my chief feature is just because what you've seen about yourself is so unwholesome that you think chief feature must really be ugly. Then you've got to be able to pay. So making the aim is one thing. Being able to pay is something else. Weak people make an aim for a day or two, and then they forget it when nothing happens. How many of you have ever been on a diet? for a day or two, or a week or two. It doesn't matter. Weak people do that. And there's some people who don't. They go on a diet, they stay on it for the rest of their lives. It's a way of life for them. And they are rare, very rare. The weak people, though, the people who make an aim for a day or two, they don't know anything about second force. They don't know that if you make an aim, something is instantaneously going to oppose you. It's just the way it is. And people who make aims, who know how to work an aim, know that they need to take into consideration the opposing force, the second force, that will arise because you made an aim. It is attached to the aim. It comes up with the aim. Everybody wants to be a millionaire, but nobody knows where to start. Everybody wants to be a movie star or a rock star, but it just doesn't happen. Everybody's not a millionaire, and not everybody's a movie star, and not everybody's a rock star, and why do you suppose that is? It's because it wasn't a real aim because they didn't take into consideration second force. Everybody in Hollywood wants to be a movie star. Everybody's kind of waiting for their chance to be discovered. So what do you think is a good aim then? To want to be a movie star, to join the the great sea of wannabes, or to open up a talent agency and start making some cash on the wannabes who are never going to make it? I guess Gurdjieff would say, open up the talent agency. People, how are you going to pay? So you make an aim, but how are you going to pay for it? I mean, what is the currency? Intelligent effort earns work money that can be used to clothe yourself psychologically. You can buy the clothes that you need to get into the wedding feast. You can buy the clothes that you need, but you have to make intelligent effort. And the coin is this work currency. False personality depends on what others think of you. Real aim doesn't need an audience. Real aim doesn't care about being a movie star. Real aim doesn't care about being a millionaire. Real aim is interested in something entirely different. And it doesn't have anything to do with what do other people think? What will other people do for me? How will this better my position in their world? That's their world. Real aim knows that and is looking to another world. People love their negative emotions. If I could magically just wave a magic stick over you and strip away all of your negative emotions, what I know is that you would not praise me. What I know is that you would hate me so that you could get your negative emotions back. Because... That's the way it is here. The question the work asks is, what do you want? That's what the work is asking everyone who comes to it. What do you want? 
If you're content with yourself, you're dead. When the work says to you, what do you want? You go, oh, nothing. Well, then you're dead. Either that or you're so asleep that you can't see what this work is. And that's possible too. It's as good as dead. True false personality. A man is defined by his income, by his distinctions, by his social level, by his body size or strength. In the work, we're not defined by any of those things. In the work, we're defined by our understanding. To false personality, you can be the greatest, and in the work, you can be the absolute least. We're not only our understanding, but what we want as a result of our understanding. See, there are people who have understanding, but they don't want anything. So what kind of understanding is that? If your understanding doesn't bring you to want something, then what good is it? If you don't want something, if you can't ask for something in a universe that's set up request and response, how can you possibly move? Everything in this universe is a request and a response. Everything. For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. Everything is set up that way. If you're not making requests, you can't be getting responses. And if you're not getting responses, what are you doing? You're content? You're dead. Clothes symbolize inner attitudes. If we want to get into this wedding, where the two shall become one, we've got to be properly dressed. Dressed in our life, egotism will get us tossed out on our ear. And it's interesting because the guy who got tossed out of the wedding feast, he didn't have a clue that he wasn't dressed for the job. He didn't know. He was speechless. How did you get in here without wedding garments? He was speechless. He had no idea. He figured he was worthy of sitting at the head table because he'd been invited. And that's us. We figure, I'm worthy just because, you know, I found out about the work. I shouldn't have to pay. I read the books. No, that's not the way it works. It takes many years to realize we're not God and that we've assumed all of this time that we are. We're just entitled. And it takes a long time to realize we're not, that we have to work, that we have to pay our way, that we have to buy our way in just like anybody else. Like, well, that's just not fair. Well, that'll give you an idea of your pride and vanity right there. That's what causes the weeping and the gnashing of teeth. Find out you're not God and you're not getting a free pass. Wait a second. Boo-hoo, poor me. Haven't you always thought and behaved as if you were right and others were wrong? If that's not God, what is? And that's what it is. If you think you're right and everybody else is wrong, you think you're God. Unless we can begin to realize our nothingness as a fact of self-observation, we'll never get out of our ordinary clothes. See, I, I know I, I talk about self-observation all the time. And I talk about it all the time because that's what we need to be doing all the time. But people don't want to do that. They want to talk about the work instead. They don't want to observe themselves. They want to discuss the Enneagram. They want to talk about the hydrogens. They want to talk about this or talk about that. They want to say, well, this isn't quite right, and that's not quite right, and I don't think Gurdjieff meant this. Well, I can tell you one thing. He meant observe yourself. That's what he meant. He meant observe yourself. If you're not observing yourself, I don't care what else you're doing. I'm not interested in what else you're doing because it's not this work. Aim made from false personality increases false personality. There's no way to get around this. It takes a long time to see what false personality is in ourselves. A long time. I've been chided for being too elementary and teaching Gurdjieff light by those who are longer in the work or in a real work group. Look, I have no affiliation with any work groups. I have no affiliation with a foundation. I have no affiliation with a work teacher. None whatsoever. This is not a work group. I'm not a teacher of the work. I'm not bona fide. I'm not certified. I'm nothing. I'm a person who's observing himself. And in my experience of observing myself, there are certain things that I see. And I see that some other people observe themselves a long time ago. And they saw these certain things too about themselves. And they wrote them down. And so somehow we now are comrades in this. These dead men and I and you are comrades in this. But the truth is that those people who say that this is Gurdjieff light couldn't be greater fools. It would be impossible. 
observation of false personality in ourselves, negative states, inner considering, all the many eyes that we have, looking at our fixed attitudes, noticing them for what they are, seeing our own inner contradictions, becoming aware of our vanity and our pride, our self-imagination, seeing the buffers that keep our contradictions separate, or seeing the pictures of ourselves that we've taken of how wonderful we are and how nice we are and how kind we are and how generous we are and how smart we are. All those things together, it doesn't end, people. You don't get to some place where that ends. That goes on forever. That's what it means to awaken. It means to continually do that. Because to be awake means to continually do that. To be asleep means you do it now and again. So if you are awake, then you're doing that all the time. And if you're not, then you're sleeping. And every once in a while, you wake up and do that. So like I said, there is no other work than this. If you want to talk to me about hydrogens and enneagrams and odd dots on I's and crosses on T's and this and that and what language and blah, 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 blah. And what does this mean or that mean in Beelzebub's tales? I'm not interested in hearing it. I have work to do. Now, if somehow this can help you to observe yourself, this can help you to come to a place in yourself where you're willing to start to look, then great, then I'll discuss it with you. Otherwise, I'm not interested. I have work to do. And we can work. Real aim is essentially desire to awaken. That's what it is. Real aim is essentially, in its essence, only this, the desire to awaken. Awaken from what? What we have called ourselves. Awaken from Parkinson, for me. But this is only possible through self-observation. There's no magic mushroom to eat. This is it. You have to do this through self-observation. When you find what features keep you identified with yourself, you've found what prevents you from awakening. When you find what features keep you identified with yourself, what is it that keeps you identified with yourself? When you found that, you found what keeps you from awakening. Then you can see where your aim really is. And when someone asks you what your aim is, then you'll know, because you'll see the features that keep you asleep. Then you can ask intelligently for help, and you can expect to receive it if you're willing to pay for it. If you're not willing to pay for it, forget it. There's no free pass. You can't get to a new state without sacrificing something belonging to your old state. If you keep on doing what you've been doing... You're going to keep on getting what you've been getting. You've got to give something up from this old state. You've got to relinquish something from this old state where you're so comfortable. It's keeping you bound here. You've got to cut the ties. You've got to set yourself adrift. You've got to be able to reach another state by moving from this current state. The first thing that the work asks you to do is sacrifice your suffering. This is a good aim. Unless you observe yourself daily, you'll never see your own personal forms of suffering daily. Unless you observe yourself daily, you're not going to see your own personal forms of suffering. If you can't see it, how can it be changed? If you can't see it, how are you going to do anything about it? If you don't see the bus coming down the street and you're crossing the street, what's going to happen? Well, chances are you're going to get run over if you walk out in front of a bus. So these are the things that we do because these are the things that get us to wake up. And that's what this work is about. It's not about who's smarter. It's not about who understands more. Understanding is worthless unless you want something because of it. If you understand this work perfectly and you don't want anything, I say it again, you're dead. If you understand this work just a little bit and you have a strong desire to awaken, to get yourself out of this thing that you have taken as yourself, you're on the right track. Often the practical application of these ideas sounds like it's going to be easy. The ideas sound great. When we actually run into a situation or person who's being a little more difficult than we'd like, we find it's not as easy as we thought it was going to be. If you've hit a snag with some aspect of this work and its practical application in your everyday life, I invite you to write James at solidrockvista.com. 
Sometimes a fresh perspective is all it takes to get us back on the right track.